MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Today, the January 6th committee will vote Wednesday to refer former Department of Justice official Jeffrey Clark for criminal contempt of Congress. The Department of Justice has filed to oppose Bannon's request to release evidence to the public. Matthew McConaughey says he will not run for the governor of Texas. And a little bit of schadenfreude for you. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. I want to keep that schadenfreude a little bit of a surprise until it happens. Not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. It's delicious, though. I'll tell you that, people. It, it is. is delicious. It's, it's quite tasty. And there's a lot going on today. I mean, we're not going to be able to have time to cover the thing with Lauren Boebert and, and you know, the, the terrible phone call bullshit yeah. apology she made to Ilhan Omar. And Ilhan Omar, just, she just doubled down and started talking about how... Omar should make an apology and just a bunch of absolute bullshit. And so she hung up on her and I'm I'm glad she did. I'm glad she did too. And uh, rightfully so. And, um, you know, there's a lot of considerations that, that I'll be talking about today as far as, uh, you know, filings in the Bannon case, what's going on with Meadows and Jeffrey Clark. And uh, we're going to be going, I'm going to be going into that in some more depth on tomorrow's cleanup on L45 pod, but also later in the show with our guest today, who is the author of the book Compromised. My favorite spy hunter, Pete Strzok, will join me to to discuss what's going on with the Department of Justice. And uh, he can lull you to sleep if you would like to listen to the to the podcast later with his delightful voice. I've got must have gotten uh, 100 replies to the tweet that he's going to be on the show that everyone just likes to listen to him talk. He's, he's quite intelligent. He just also has a, a dulcet tones to his voice, I guess. People are into it. So he'll be joining us later on for that. So... With that in mind, with all of that in mind, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, top story today. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol moved on Monday to begin contempt of Congress proceedings against Jeffrey Clark, sort of leapfrogged over Mark Meadows. We were all waiting to hear about that first. Jeffrey Clark is a former Justice Department official involved in the uh, you know Trump effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election. He's the guy who wrote the seven letters to the seven states saying, we found corruption in your voting. You should send a different slate of electors for Trump to, you know, for the certification on January 6th. That was part of, you know, Eastman and Ellis's six point coup attempt. That was like step three or something like that. And uh, so he was trying to overturn the election. And they're setting a vote this week on recommending criminal charges for his refusal to cooperate with a subpoena from the panel. This vote would be the second such confrontation between the committee and an ally of Donald since Congress began investigating the circumstances surrounding the Capitol riot, including the former president's attempts to subvert the election. The House voted in October to recommend that another Trump associate, Steve Bannon, recommend he be charged with criminal contempt of Congress for stonewalling the inquiry and a federal grand jury subsequently indicted him on two counts that could carry up to two years behind bars in total with a minimum of two months. The House committee issued a subpoena in October seeking testimony and records from Mr. Clark. In early November, he appeared before the panel, but he just handed them a letter saying he wasn't going to say anything. That was a letter from his his lawyer, Harry McDougald, saying that Clark was not going to answer any substantive questions. 
The latter cited attorney-client privilege, protecting Mr. Carr's conversations with Donald and argued the former Justice Department official was duty-bound not to provide any testimony to your committee covering information protected by the former president's assertion of executive privilege, which doesn't exist. At the same time, the committee is considering what to do about a third potential witness, as I said, Mr. Meadows. That's Trump's former chief of staff, who has also refused to comply with a subpoena. The committee said that Mr. Meadows has refused to answer even basic questions, such as two plus two, no, such as <laughs> whether he was using a private cell phone to communicate on January 6th or a private Gmail account and the location of his text messages from that day. Hmm. I imagine the committee may be waiting on Meadows to, to make a decision on Meadows for a couple of reasons, either maybe to see what happens with the appeals court decision or a hearing today in the Trump case against the National Archives and the Department of Justice and the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And or one of the yes, this and or possibly there are more executive privilege considerations for Meadows than there are for Clark because Merrick Garland waived privilege for former DOJ officials. And of course, Meadows was the chief of staff. And as Ellie Honig just said to Wolf Blitzer, if executive privilege was created for anyone, it's created for the chief of staff. But Ellie went on to say, I don't think he's got any good privilege claims here, but there are definitely more considerations and it's more complicated. And while it's true that Biden waived privilege over Meadows documents because of his proximity to the president, the executive branch, like I said, there's just going to be more hurdles to prepare for in case the Department of Justice indicts and goes to trial. The January 6th committee has said it will make a decision on Meadows later in the week. All right. We will stay tuned for that. I'm taking you down to Texas. Hmm. The actor and author. Author. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Matthew McConaughey announced on Sunday that he would not run for governor of Texas for now after months of weighing whether he would seek the office. In a video posted on Twitter and Instagram, Mr. McConaughey, who's 52 now, who knew? said running for governor is a, quote, humbling and inspiring path to ponder. (laughs) Really? And another quote, it's also a path that I'm choosing not to take at this moment. Now, Mr. McConaughey's announcement came about two weeks before the candidate filing deadline for the Texas primary, and about two weeks after Beto O'Rourke, a former El Paso congressman, as we know, and 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, announced his run for the office against Governor Greg Abbott. And we all know he's a Republican. It does not need to be said. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for that sidebar. Mr. McConaughey's announcement also came weeks after he drew widespread attention for saying that he would not mandate vaccines for young children because he would like more information, adding that in his household, we go slow on vaccines, on vaccinations, even before COVID. Mm. Now, instead of running for governor, Mr. McConaughey said he would continue to support entrepreneurs, businesses, and foundations that are, quote, leaders, establishments that are creating pathways for the people to succeed in life, and organizations that have a mission to serve and build trust while also generating prosperity. How vague can you be? Very. I'm just going to support businesses that are doing good things and the pathways that I'm not going to talk about specifically to help people succeed in life. Not going to talk about which people those are. Uh, And organizations that have a mission to serve and build trust which we have none of in Texas, while also generating prosperity, which only a few are actually enjoying. (laughs) This sounds like some sort of weird corporate, (laughs) uh, like flashcards. Right. Well, the paradigms are going to shift and, you know, there'll be synergy and uh, we will analyze that for, you know, future potential growth. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Matthew. All right. All right. All right. Also in the news today. Late last night, the Department of Justice filed an opposition in court to a Bannon motion 
Bannon had demanded that all evidence used against him in the contempt charge not be filed under seal. He he was opposing, you know, filing that's the, the Department of Justice wants to file this shit under seal. And he was opposed to that. He wanted it all out in the public. In the response, the Department of Justice goes over the perils of making a prosecution public before trial and accuses Bannon of potential witness tampering. Nice. And I'll be going over the filing in depth with Andrew Torres on tomorrow's cleanup on all 45 pod. And I'll discuss that witness tampering part and some other quotes from the filing later in today's show with Pete Strzok. Now, it's important to know that in a very specific part of the DOJ filing, we gained some insight as to why it might have taken three weeks for the Department of Justice to indict Bannon. A lot of people were screaming, it should be faster. It should be faster. It only took eight days before. As you know, I've talked at length about the Department of Justice taking time to prepare for Bannon's defense during trial. And the last time the Department of Justice indicted someone for criminal contempt was in 1983. They only took eight days to indict and they ended up losing. And we don't want to lose. Actually, they got their asses handed to them because they failed to properly prepare for the trial. In this filing, uh, this sort of bolsters my theory that there is a lot more here to consider than just an open and shut case. We learned that there are over 65 documents totaling over a thousand pages of evidence. There are witness interviews with the grand jury, witness interviews with law enforcement. There's other grand jury material. There are internal communications between select committee staff. There's correspondence between Bannon and others. Law enforcement database information relating to Bannon and, of course, public source news reporting that the government gathered during the investigation. All of that just for the contempt of Congress charges that everyone was saying was open and shut. I also find it interesting that Department of Justice mentions interviews between law enforcement and witnesses. And I'm like, are they saying that during those 22 days that the grand jury and law enforcement interviewed witnesses? Or is this a reference to some other Department of Justice investigation we don't know about? We'll find out. But all the evidence that Bannon wants released to the public to help him at trial, it supports the need for that 22-day investigation by the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. All right. Thank you for that, NAG. It is time for some schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Ooh, ooh. All right. I'm excited. I love it. After all those fawning media segments, remember this? On the man they called, quote, the straight shooter. Chris Christie's new book turns out to be a colossal flop. It seems that the public refuses to apparently buy anything Chris is selling. Interesting. Now, a senior publishing source with access to the industry's book scan tabulation tells us that the Republican Rescue, his book, sold just 2,289 copies. Now, that's not 200 and 2,000. That's 2,289 copies during its first week in stores. Its first week. Week. If you remember, Mary Trump's book sold over a million the first day. Day. <laughs> first day. And that's his first week in stores. And that constitutes what are they calling a colossal publishing flop. That figure does not include digital copies of the book, but based on industry sale patterns, you know, given Christie's week showing in stores, he likely sold like only a few hundred digital ones, probably. And on Sunday, this is what we have. The Republican Rescue was ranked 15,545th. So it is ranked 15,545th at Amazon's Kindle store, <laughs> which means like Computers for Dummies is probably ranked above Chris Christie's book. Windows 95 for dummies is probably selling. That's actually true. (laughs) Oh, my God. HTML code, how to write it. In comparison to Christie's 2000 copies debacle, Jonathan Carl's new book, Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show, 
That sold over 24,000 hardcover copies in the same week as Christie's failure. Now, how Christie was able to sell so few books after lining up so much national media attention during his marketing rollout, well, this week and The View, those two shows, Fox and Friends, along with Fox News, Fox Business, The Daily Show, HBO Twice, CNBC, that represents an extraordinary disconnect. All of the free press this guy got and still only just over 2,000 books. So this is what it confirms. It confirms that deeply, the deeply unpopular former New Jersey governor remains, first of all, and foremost, media creation. That's, That's what it is. For years, he's been propped up by the press as a populist straight shooter, but he left office with an approval rating in the teens, AG, and he failed spectacularly when he tried to run for president in 2020. I mean, that was even worse than his book sales, if you ask me. That explains why CNN's Christie special was a ratings disaster and coming in a distant third place among the three cable news channels that night. Third place. (laughs) Womp womp. Thank you for that, schadenfreude. That's lovely. All right. We'll be right back with Pete Strzok to discuss why investigations are secret and when too secret can become a problem. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG with the beans. Did you know that women are at higher risk of poor sleep quality and sleep deprivation due to hormonal changes that disrupt the circadian rhythm and that can negatively impact your overall health? I knew that. (laughs) This can later lead to hot flashes and night sweats in up to 85% of women, making sleep impossible. I also know that. Uh, And even when you put the cell phone down and turn your lights off, your body still needs a final trigger to let you know it's time to sleep. And this trigger is a decrease in body temperature, which hacks your primal response and convinces your body it's finally bedtime. That's where Chili Sleep comes to the rescue. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Cube sleep systems. They're customizable, hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing awesome mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. As part of the overall scientific study that was conducted by Wake Forest researchers, Chili Sleep's cooling bed products were shown to significantly reduce the frequency of night sweats by 86% and the frequency of hot flashes by 64%, and I love mine. I've had trouble falling asleep, you know, I have hot flashes. But that's all changed since I started using Chili Sleep. So head over to chilisleep.com slash beans to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for Daily Beans listeners and only for a limited time. That's chilisleep, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash beans to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. Everybody, welcome back. We are joined today by the congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. And I know everyone was expecting Peter Strzok and his interview to be in this place, but we have breaking news with an exclusive scoop from Hugo Lowell, The Guardian. Hugo, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so basically we have a story out that says uh, Donald Trump, hours before the, the attack on the Capitol, made several phone calls from the White House to his top lieutenants at the Willard. And on at least one of these calls, he pressed them about ways to stop Biden certification from taking place on January 6th as part of wider discussions about how to delay the certification process to get alternate states of electors for Trump sent to Congress. You know, this is significant, right? It it reveals a direct line from Trump in the White House to this kind of command center at the Willard. But it also appears to show that Trump's thoughts were in line with the motivations of the mob that perpetrated the Capitol attack. Because if you think about the aim of the Capitol attack, well, 
it was to halt Biden certification. So what Trump wanted ultimately came to pass. And, you know, this is all part of the January 6th Select Committee's investigation into the Willard. So we think it's a very significant story. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so, because, as you said, this implicates direct communication uh, between the White House and the Willard. And and I guess, I mean, I have so many questions here. Maybe you can answer them. Maybe you can't. Was this from the Oval Office? Are these calls recorded? How, I mean, how do we know what the content of these calls is as it's being reported? Yeah, so this story is based on multiple sources with direct knowledge of Trump's calls to the Willard sometime in the evening of January 5 and the morning of January 6, the early hours of January 6. Trump actually made several calls. He called a whole bunch of non-lawyers, people like Steve Bannon, and then he called a whole bunch of lawyers, people like Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman. And the reason why he called these guys was because Trump thought the most viable path to a second term lay with the strategy that his lieutenants at the Willard were formulating. And this all goes back to this January 4 meeting um, with Trump and John Eastman when Eastman presented his memo to Pence uh, and Pence's chief of staff, Mark Shaw, and his legal counsel, Greg Jacob. And in this meeting, right, uh, Eastman said, you know, Pence, you can commandeer your kind of ceremonial role at the joint session. You know, you can delay the certification unilaterally, or you can throw the election to the House, both on the basis of election fraud. Of course, the Justice Department had already decided, determined that there was no widespread fraud sufficient to change the outcome of the election. Trump seized on this memo and kind of pushed Pence to kind of adopt the plan, but Pence pushed back and told him in the Oval Office the next day that Trump should count him out of whatever plans he had to subvert result of the election. And Trump was furious at Pence for, for him, you know, refusing to do this final favor. And this is the background uh, against which Trump made these calls to the Willard. Now, it wasn't immediately clear whether Trump made the calls from the White House residence or if he made it from the West Wing. The residence is significant because calls aren't recorded from the residence. Even if he picked up a desk phone, and dialed the Willard, you know, or Bannon cell phone, for instance. Those calls, the content of the calls aren't recorded. And so if the select committee wants to know all of the details of what was discussed in these calls, really their only option is to get a readout or testimony from these guys who are on the calls. And, you know, we have a partial readout in the story about generally kind of what was discussed. But to get into the intimate details, I think, the select committee is going to have to hear from the lawyers or the non-lawyers like Bannon. But of course, we already know Bannon's not inclined to play ball with the committee and is currently in court suing. Uh, so I think that's the that's the tricky uh, situation at the moment. That's really interesting that you bring up attorney-client privilege and and the fact that he switched from you know speaking to Bannon to speaking to lawyers so that he might be able to assert that privilege with I'm sure the full knowledge of the crime fraud exception with attorney-client privilege, not necessarily executive privilege, although executive privilege can't really be asserted in any of these particular calls because these are campaign-related. The campaign, the Trump campaign, paid for this this room at the Willard. And so when you're doing campaign activities, executive privilege can't be invoked. 
it's going to be really interesting to see how they respond to this. And I have some more questions about those memos that the memos, the memo you had mentioned specifically from Eastman and how this relates to Pence. I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Everybody, this is breaking news from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian regarding actual communication between Donald Trump from the White House, whether it's the residence Oval Office, we aren't sure, and the Willard Hotel on the night of January 5th. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this portion of the show is sponsored by Upstart. Uh, If you are like me and you dread looking at your credit card statements every month, you're not alone. The weight of debt can be crippling. And if you have high interest rates, you can make those minimum payments. The total doesn't change. But Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. With Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your life again. It's easy to pay off your debt with an online personal loan with Upstart. Over a million people have used Upstart to consolidate their high interest debt and pay off credit cards or fund personal expenses with one fixed low monthly payment. Because Upstart looks beyond just your credit score and they find you a better loan rate with their trusted partners by considering other factors like your income, your employment history, your current employment, your credit history. And you can check your rate without impacting your credit score for free and in minutes to see if you can get a lower interest rate than what you're paying now. And you can do that for loans between one to fifty thousand dollars. You can uh, even receive funds as fast as one business day after the acceptance of your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Your loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And the coolest gift this holiday season, this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beanbox. Beans, Beanbox. Beanbox connects coffee lovers to some of the world's best specialty coffees with expertly curated tasting flights. Perfect for gifting. I love my new Beanbox routine. It's like giving a gift to myself, and it's fun getting to open a new box of coffee and find a flight of unique, amazing flavors I would never taste otherwise. I love trying the variety of different roasts, and it's uh, all such high quality across the board. Freshness is guaranteed. Every bean box order is roasted fresh and delivered at peak flavor. And best of all, you support small roasters with every sip. Beanbox sources all their coffee from some of the best artisan roasters in the United States. For the coffee lover on your list, there's no better way to say happy holidays than with Beanbox. They'll get endless variety and get to explore award-winning coffees handpicked by Beanbox's resident coffee expert. Try the deluxe coffee and chocolate tasting box. (laughs) Eight gourmet coffees perfectly matched with artisan chocolates. Or the World Coffee Tour box, a globe-trotting trip through 16 of the world's best micro-lot coffees. Give the coffee fanatic in your life an unforgettable coffee tasting experience with Beanbox. And there's chocolate. Order today at beanbox.com slash dailybeans20 and get 20% off your purchase of $40 or more. That's 20% off your purchase of $40 or more with promo code dailybeans20 at beanbox.com slash dailybeans20. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with congressional reporter Hugo Lowell at The Guardian with this incredible breaking news about um, confirmed phone calls between Trump himself at the White House and the Willard Hotel on January 5th, the night before the attack on the Capitol. And before the break, I had mentioned this memo and you well, you had mentioned the memo from John Eastman that was like the six point plan that Pence needed to follow. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, Jenna Ellis also penned an Eastman like memo. I don't know what how else to say it to describe it, which was emailed by Mark Meadows who has recently been subpoenaed and been defying that subpoena by the January 6th committee. And he emailed that to Mark Short, the Pence chief of staff. And that's sort of the connection there. Can you talk a little bit more about perhaps, was was there any indication of what was on uh, Trump's mind? Like, 
Was he specifically saying, look, Pence isn't going to play ball. We have to violently overthrow the government. Was there any kind of indication of, of that sort of conversation that happened in these phone calls? multiple phone calls from the White House to the Willard? So we so we don't know if Trump, you know, discussed stopping Biden's certification on January 6th by any means, you know, whether it's physical or violent or whether, you know, this was just him asking his lawyers and his lieutenants kind of, you know, how are we going to ensure that Biden is not certified on January 6th so that I have a path to the presidency for a second term. So I don't think we can go that far as to say, you know, he was actively involved in, you know, planning the capital attack per se. But I think it's interesting insofar as it gives a window into Trump's thoughts the night before the insurrection, right? And you mentioned the the other memos that were sent to that were sent to Pence's team and you know crisscrossed the West Wing. You know, this was a grand effort by Trump and his aides to stop the certification from taking place on January 6th, right? First, they wanted the DOJ to intervene and say, you know, there was widespread fraud. They, they then wanted Pence to unilaterally say he couldn't certify slates of electors, either have to throw it to the House or, or, or delay the certification to give states enough time to send Trump slates of electors to Congress. When this all fell through, I think this is where the story comes in. You know, we have Trump in his moment of reckoning. Yeah. The joint session is hours away. All of his fallback plans have disappeared. Pence is refusing to play ball. You know, everything is going wrong for him. And in his moment of desperation, I think, he calls up these guys at the Willard and says, how are we going to ensure that Biden is not certified president? I think this is the kind of culmination of months and months of seeking ways to overturn the election. Like early on in the process, he was prepared to entertain people like Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell in the Oval Office. Uh, You know, however ludicrous the conspiracy theories were, if if he thought, you know, there was even a chance that it could allow him to stay in power, then he was prepared to listen to it. But I think it's fascinating that on the night of January 5, in his moment of truth, he turned to the guys at the Willard. And I think that illustrates where Trump thought his ability to stay in power remains. Right. Because, I mean, it seems like the one six committee has been trying to establish a connection between the White House and the people organizing or leading the, the stop the steal or ellipse rallies. And so this does that. But it, I feel like a lot of these lieutenants, like you're talking about Bannon, et cetera, seemed to know that there was going to be violence at the Capitol ahead of even these phone calls. And, you know, but what we don't know is whether or not this was Trump calling him saying you have the green light, you know, because Pence isn't playing ball. And now I'm trying to now I'm thinking, when did Pence talk to Dan Quayle? Right. When did he call him up and say, how can I get how can I make this happen? And and Quayle like told him like five or six times, like you can't. This is ministerial. This is a you know, certifying the election is just what you have to do. And Pence said, you don't know what I'm up against. Mm-hmm. And that's specifically frightening in the the sourcing that I recently came up with, that, that his badge, that the Pence team's badges were, they stopped working, the, the, you know, the day of the insurrection. And they were forced down to, you know, relegated to a, a loading dock mm-hmm. in a parking garage. So it, it seems like, you know, between the, the pre-planning of the, the violent attack, which, you know, because 
before ahead of time on his podcast, Bannon was like, it's going to, there's, you know, all hell's going to break loose. And people wore body armor, you know, to the, to the rally, the peaceful protest, the, uh, you know, the, the tourist visit. It seemed, you know, it's, it's makes me wonder how much did Trump know ahead of time, but to establish that these calls were made is absolutely incredible. I think that there are two points, right? I think the first point is Trump never ordered really his aides to act in a certain way. He never told Michael Cohen, you know, go pay off Stormy Daniels and cover this all up because it's going to be politically embarrassing. The only instance I can think of where Trump came close to ordering someone to do something was to fire Robert Mueller. When he told then White House counsel Don McGahn (laughs) to fire Mueller. And that was the closest we came and this, you know, laid the the potential ground for an obstruction of justice charge. But Trump normally doesn't make mistakes like that. He, you know, he talks in kind of vague terms, but to people who serve him, they know what he wants and know that in order to please Trump, they have to succeed in doing his bidding. So I think that's the first point. The second point is it's important to remember kind of who these guys were talking to, right? Trump spoke to the guys at the Willard. But then when you think about who the guys at the Willard were speaking to, you know, they were in communication, like, you know, Bannon and Eastman and Giuliani. These guys were in contact with people like Roger Stone, who were in turn in contact with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and a lot of the militia groups that ended up storming the Capitol. And so there's degrees of separation. But, and this is purely speculative, Mm -hmm. But one wonders that if the select committee is trying to establish a line from Trump to the capital attack, this is the avenue you might follow. Yeah. And and then, you know, getting even further into what could be criminal about this. I mean, there would be a lot you would have to establish, but definitely important to the court of public opinion in in this particular case. Is there anything else you want to tell us about uh, what you found out about these phone calls before I let you go? Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple more interesting points. Firstly, when I was reporting this story, what was interesting to me was that there were differing accounts of how these phone calls went down. And it was, I think, you know, it was an exercise in trying to figure out what parts dovetailed with other parts to kind of figure out what I think is the kind of the best rendition of what I think took place. But it was interesting to me how all of these participants on the calls had different recollections of how it went down. The second thing is, of course, that for Trump to call the Willard from the White House is not itself a crime, right? A president can call up people and solicit advice. It's one thing for, you know, if, if Trump told the lawyers or the lieutenants on the call, you know, I want you to go find the Proud Boys and tell them to attack the Capitol tomorrow because Pence is not going to do, you know, do a favor to me. That's one thing. But this reporting doesn't suggest that. It may have happened. It may not have happened. We just, I just don't have that. Yeah. But while it's not a crime to solicit advice on how to stop a certification and interrupt the peaceful transition of power, it is incredibly untoward. And as you say in the court of public opinion, I wonder if people look at Trump in a different light and think, you know, what he really did that day and the lengths he went was really extraordinary and unbecoming for a president. 
Yeah. And truth be told, while these specific events might not constitute crimes in and of themselves, they could certainly be used to show a pattern of behavior and totality of the evidence, which we saw a lot of, particularly in the obstruction investigation from the Mueller report and the Mueller investigation. And, you know, I think that it, again, while you might not be able to prove this particular act of making those phone calls is criminal, again, it might lend itself to to totality of the evidence in other crimes like inciting the insurrection or perhaps seditious conspiracy trying to overthrow the government. But that's going to be up to the Department of Justice to decide. Mm-hmm. And I think absolutely right. If you, and I think the committee investigating the Capitol attack is going about things in the right way. You know, we had uh, more subpoenas uh, last week. And when you talk to these members on the select committee, the kind of thing they're trying to do is to build a case uh, by collecting evidence piece by piece and trying to build a circumstantial case that maybe Trump incited an insurrection or was responsible in large part for what unfolded on January 6th. So maybe, you know, I think, I don't know if, you're, if there will ever be evidence that Trump, you know, directed people to storm the Capitol attack. That's just not the way he operates. But maybe this is part of a pattern of that that builds towards a more complete picture of what Trump was trying to accomplish. Yeah, we will see. Thank you so much for this amazing story. Everyone follow Hugo Lowell, subscribe to The Guardian. This is the kind of absolutely incredible exclusive news that you will get. And I really appreciate your time uh, today speaking to me. And again, everybody, Pete Strzok will be tomorrow, I promise. <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't uh, not go with this story after, after hearing about it. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, friends, it's AG. And this segment of the show is brought to you by Wealthfront, helping you invest smarter and easier. Stonks, memes, rocket ships, day trading can be a lot of fun. But if you want to grow your long-term wealth and make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. You can start with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make it your own. With socially responsible funds or crypto trusts, they have hundreds of investments to choose from. Either way, they'll set you up in minutes with a portfolio that you can count on for the long term. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. You're protected from unnecessary risk because your portfolio will be diversified across asset classes. And if you don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill, they help you do that too. And if you're not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or you're like me and you don't know what rebalancing is, they do it automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. Get your first $5,000 managed for free at wealthfront.com slash dailybeans. It takes just minutes to start building your wealth. So visit wealthfront.com slash dailybeans. That's wealthfront, F-R-O-N-T dot com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by QB. Think about how many hours we spend sitting at our desks or on the couch watching TV. But what if you could turn those otherwise inactive times into opportunities to burn calories, keep your joints fluid and stay fit? That's exactly what you can do with QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. And it's a compact elliptical unit that fits under your desk so you can pedal and get a workout while you're sitting at your computer. In fact, I'm using it right now, and you can't hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints, it's low impact, and as a recent clinical study confirms, it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say, I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime and virtually anywhere. Uh, It's also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs some help to improve circulation and keep active. I got one for my mom and she loves hers. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy, QB would be a perfect holiday gift. 
Again, I love mine and my mom loves hers. I know you will love yours too. Take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it on good news. It's on the way. Man, that Pete Strzok is just a gem. I love talking. I mean, really. And very, you're right. Just a nice, dreamy voice. It's very, it's, it's very soothing. But I tell you what, every time I have him on, he answers all 19,000 of my questions <laughs> in his first answer. So I have to like sort of, you know, kind stretch of stretch it, stretch <laughs> it, <laughs> make it through the rest of the interview. So, uh, but it's always, it's always a huge pleasure to have him on. I know he's very busy. A little bit of housekeeping here. You will find a link to a survey in the show notes. Please fill it out. It will help us know who you are. This is all uh, important housekeeping stuff. We haven't done a demographics survey since 2018. So it's a little moldy. So we want to know who y'all are. Please fill it out if you get a chance. First up in the good news. Oh, and by the way, if you have any good news you want to send to us or corrections, confessions, any games we play, Thanksgiving stories, holiday photos, pod pet pics. If you want to send us a, a, a pet that's up for adoption in your area, you can send that in to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. This first submission is from Sally. Pronouns she and her, dear Beans Queens, where many folks gather with extended family during holidays, during the holidays with a certain amount of dread. My husband and I have been on a journey these past few years of letting go of divisive and toxic relatives. It has been painful and freeing and landed us here. A simple, perfect Thanksgiving celebration with just us, me, the hubs and our two sons, Charlie and Henry. My oldest son commented this year that it's his favorite time when it's just the four of us and we got to just I look forward to the time when uh, our country comes out the other side of this dysfunction we're in and we can just be again and we'll be even better, stronger and a truer version of ourselves. We may be digging in the dirt right now, but I believe in us. Thanks for doing your part in keeping us centered and true. You're my morning coffee and me time before the day gets going. Attached are some pics of us and our simple feast. Much love and gratitude to you from my entire family. What a beautiful mm. way to start and a beautiful family. Your kids have great hair. Can we I know. talk about I that, Sally? Your kids have amazing hair. That. This is, yeah, I'm really actually jealous of both of the hairs of your child's. Oh and goodness. that centerpiece with the golden apple and pear and, and, the, and the pine cones, that's beautiful. I love it. Well, I'm so glad you have this and it is, it is okay. It's okay to cut the toxicity out of your life, even if it's mm. family. Give yourself permission. This next one's from Anonymous. Happy Thanksgiving, Beans Queens. I didn't grow up with a lot of family close by, so the holidays were pretty small. Since I got married, we always go to my in-law's house for Thanksgiving. We have three daughters, 18, 21, and 23. My sister-in-law has three sons, 20, 22, and 24. This year, two of the boys' girlfriends had nowhere to go on Thanksgiving. My mother-in-law said that there were too many people and they couldn't come. I told my youngest two daughters that if I ever said They couldn't come for any holiday to remind me of this day. It makes me sad that my mother-in-law wouldn't let those two girls come to the house. Then, on my way home, I was getting an obnoxious amount of texts from a work chain. And when I got home, it was about how one of my coworkers coordinated over 100 volunteers that fed over 1,700 people meals today. Now, that's what holidays are all about. For pod tax, 
a Halloween picture of my dog and oldest daughter. I hope it's not too late. It is never too late. Never. Never too late for Halloween costumes. Moo, the dog dressed as a cow is awesome. And then, of course, eat more chicken. Okay, that's hilarious. Anonymous, thank you for the submission. I'm really sorry that that happened. Yeah. yeah, and I'm but I'm glad that you kind of got that text where 100 volunteers fed over 1,700 sure. people sort of make up for that, you know, like, mm, can't do two. My friends just did 1,700. Yeah, what? no kidding. Next up from Kimberly, no pronouns given. Don't just start over, keep starting over. Dearest Beans, as a chronic pain sufferer from injuries accumulated in service, I feel like I've started over a million times in the 15 years since medical discharge. I wish to send my wholehearted thank you for being my daily reminder that if I don't like what's happening, I need to do something about it to have the authority to speak on the matter. So as I'm currently trying to adjust to new symptoms from an old injury, I'm currently making myself a nuisance to the powers that be with weekly emails and calls to voice my displeasure with the new Scarborough gas field that's to be established in Western Australia. I swear our prime minister is trying to be the Aussie Trump, though I'm hoping there's too many who see through the bullshit to have his kind succeed in the next election, which can't come soon enough. So as I disappoint my kids and frustrate my loved ones, at least I can look myself in the mirror and say I'm trying. As I listen to MSW Book Club, the quote, don't just start over, keep starting over, hit me like a ton of bricks. With the news of a new variant shows us greed is humanity's downfall. It's America who can waive the patent to vaccinate the world. It's a bleak reminder that doing the right thing isn't easy. Sending my love and gratitude to you and all the Beans listeners. Cheers. Pat Tax, my boy with his four-legged shadow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Look at that face. Look at those cheeks. And, and uh, you know what? I got to tell you, Kimberly, you're not, I'm, I'm sure you're not disappointing your kids yeah. and frustrating your loved ones, but I know how it can feel like that. You know, the weight of something like that can feel like that. As, as somebody who's uh, disabled myself from service, I totally get that. And so here's to you for, for being a warrior and sticking through it and... And just, you know, that quote, that Alexander Vinman quote, don't just start over, keep starting over, really gave me a lot of hope to hit me like a ton of bricks as well. So I feel you on that. Very nice. I love that when you, everyone can, I love that you can relate to so many of these submissions because I know it gives validation to so many of our listeners, AG. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one this is from Clark, pronounce he and him. Hello, this starts off sad, but it gets better. My sweet pupper scout from To Kill a Mockingbird who has been a part of our family since her birth 13 years ago, is gone now. How do I describe her? She was our sweet little girl who woke up every morning requesting face rubs to start the day. She was a ball chaser and an avid car rider, pick scout road trip, whether the local home improvement store, the vet, unless they were taking her temperature, a lady has to have her limits, (laughs) or four states away to see the grandparents. She was a perfect guest at hotels or homes. My anti-pet mother actually said she looked forward to her visits. She loved going on walkabout to leave tennis balls throughout the area. We think she thought they were tennis ball tree seeds and the neighbors would bring them back and leave them in our need a ball, take a ball bowl on the front porch. Oh, what a cool idea. uh, Such a great idea. There are too many wonderful stories to tell about our sweet girl. In the end, doggy ALS got her. It was hard to watch her confusion as her legs got less responsive, but she kept plugging on. Then two weeks ago, she had had enough. One morning, she stopped eating. She decided that that was her day to cross the Rainbow Bridge. Oh. <laughs> I don't want me. Yeah, I think I'm okay. Mm. But she still gave Daddy a, a brave smile. There's another pick that Scout's last day. 
with the help of the wonderful people at angelpaws.com. We were able to let her go. As much as she liked to roam and explore, she was a good girl, and I'm sure that she is waiting patiently at the clearing at the end of the path. Her passing, <clears throat> passing has been hard for us, knowing that I'll never see her looking through the viewpoint that I made in the gate. Okay, you take it, AG, just for a second, Jesus. Or sticking her nose out the doggy door to check on me as I stood in the snow having a cigarette has been really tough. There's a hole in my heart. Who keeps cutting onions in here? I would like yeah. to know the same thing. Yeah, Clark. <laughs> so we started looking for a new member for our family and found an unadoptable cat at a shelter an hour away. Pick cat, two years old, white with black markings, asthmatic with something called a megacolon. Okay, she purred the whole drive home, but the stress of relocating backed her up. On the third morning, we were expecting to hustle the vet for an enema. We were so excited to see poop in the litter box. Pet parenting joys are so weird. We were scheduled to a normal appointment a few days later, and a maintenance plan is now in place. We were tentatively naming her Frankie after hilarious fake commercial for the real product Movantic. Frank can't poop. <laughs> but she needs a forever name with a bit more dignity. Will you creative ladies help? We've tried so many literary names or explorers, aviators, but none really stick. Could this be a new name game for the listeners? Name that pet? Yes, I think it is. There's more. A few days later, we found a sweet foster puppy two hours away that we brought home, an adorable black lab mix with white markings. Pick puppy. Eager to please. She explores the world by taste as much as sight. She and the cat aren't too sure about each other, but they have reached a detente for now. She responds very well to no ma'am, but I would like something a bit more personal. We've tried heaven, Huckleberry, and my wife is considering Margaret Thatcher. Hard pass. <laughs> Any help with her name would be appreciated as well. Help us, Daily Beans, ladies. You are our last hope. Okay, I, I, I went Galaxy Quest there. Do you want to finish this off? You got it. Okay, I'm so sad about what you've gone through, both recently and during your career. We send our love and support your way. We were so glad that you were able to bring on DG, my wife's voice crush. And thank you for saying that, because I hate the sound of my own voice. I guess most of us do. And welcome her into the family. My wife knows that I find smart women incredibly hot but she is also brilliant. So she tolerates my crushes on you, DG, Amy, Mandy, Swoon, and the rest. <laughs> Thank you for what you do, what you have built, and the impact that you have on our society. Do you ever wonder what things would be like if the VA they had not tried to silence you? As an unintended consequence of their actions, your voices reached so many more than they ever could have imagined. They moved you into a larger pond where the ripples from your pebble can spread farther than before. Best wishes as you grow, MSW Media. Ladies, please take care of yourselves. You mean a lot to a lot of us. Mm. My God, this is such this. Clark, you're an excellent writer. I know. My yeah. goodness. Okay, we've got names to come up with. Yep. Everybody take a look at the pictures. Oh, my goodness. And come up with some names for this little puppy. Oh, and this kitty. This unadoptable asthmatic butt plug cat. Oh, my God. Look how adorable. Oh. So, so cute. All right. I'm going to have to put some thought into this. Yeah, we will too. And everybody submit your name recommendations to us along with your good news, confessions, anything you want us to send us. You can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana. Do you think that puppy is black or brown before we get to that? Because I like the name Mocha. It's a black puppy. Okay. Well, then maybe Mocha doesn't work. All right. Uh, do I have any final thoughts? Apparently <laughs> that was my final thought. I want the dog to be Mocha. Um <laughs> 
We can make it count as your final. Or thought. we can call the dog beans. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll get, that's going to be my final thought. My final thought is being taken over by me trying to find puppy names. Uh, gotcha. Makes sense. And everybody uh, send those into us. We'll go over them tomorrow. And until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>